are you doing? Yes. Oh, good. Some of us are good. Great. Some of us are listening from Council, is it? Is it CRC? Yep. Perfect. So good to have you guys here. Thanks for coming. Um, right. You know what today is, don't you? Yeah. It's definitely Sunday. It's Queen's birthday. Any ideas from the church calendar what today is? I know. Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. Come on. Some of you guys heard my message this morning. You know the answers to this. Oh, there you go. All right. Well, it is. It's actually a really important day in the life of the church because Pentecost Sunday is the day that we uh, we celebrate and we remember uh, when the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus' followers, and it commemorates also the birth of the church. So if they hadn't had this encounter with the Holy Spirit and what happened afterwards, we probably wouldn't be here today. So it's a pretty big day for us, actually. But we tend to, unless we're in traditional churches, we, we don't always kind of keep track of some of these things. So, um, so it's a pretty cool day to be able to actually remember this stuff. And uh, if we stop and have a wee think about some of the things that led us up to the day of Pentecost, we're going to just do a quick refresher course. But before we do that, I've titled today's uh, message, uh, we've just called it Amen. And Amen, we're all trained to, to say that, we aren't we? Like we talk from the time we were this morning at church, we had this little four-year-old when I said, you know, amen, there's this little voice from the back of church, amen. And it's, uh, it's because her parents have already started teaching her, this is how we pray, and at the end we say, amen. amen. Do we know what it is we're actually saying? It's, the, it's like, yeah. Yeah, or it's like a yes. It's this, you know, declaration of affirmation, and it's, you know, this, this big yes. And uh, an emphasis and agreement, like we're agreeing with whatever we're amening to, Okay. So, um, so I'm hoping in the course of this message that there'll be multiple moments where you go, you know, that your heart just sort of goes, yes, you know, or that sort of yes and amen moment, you know. So, uh, so feel free, you can dig deep into your soul, and if you feel like you want to do that out loud, you're more than welcome. Um, certainly, we had a four-year-old that was really into it this morning. <laughs> so let's just recap. We sang uh, earlier about uh, what Jesus did at Easter, and we, that wasn't so long ago, it's about what? 50 days ago, something like that, I think. Um, and so, you know, Easter is huge for us. If Jesus hadn't come, if he hadn't lived, if he hadn't died, if he certainly if he hadn't risen again, we wouldn't have the opportunity for a relationship with God that we have today. And the invitation into life, uh, the way that God would want us to be able to live it, the way that he's designed us to live it. And so um, what was happening, in, if we sort of go back to the time of Pentecost, uh, they had had Easter. It was actually Passover uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, but we now call and we celebrate Easter on that same at that same time. So there were Jews that came from all over the known world at that point, and they went to Jerusalem. And they had uh, Passover. Obviously, Jesus was uh, crucified then. Then he rose again. And uh, and you can imagine for his disciples, it was this moment of like just crushing disappointment. Uh, none of this was turning out the way that they expected it to. And uh, and so, but then, amazingly, three days later, he blows them away by like just randomly popping up and meeting with <coughs> them, and then he stays with them, and journeys with them for the next forty days, and tells them stories. He unpacks why it was that he had to do what he did, and what that meant for them, and what it meant for the rest of eternity, and how that fulfilled scripture up until that point. 
is why he had to do that stuff. So he, he stayed with them, but then this uh, moment came where he was like, I have to leave you again, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And that day happened 10 days ago, the day that we commemorate, we say it's the day of ascension. Uh, if we were in an Anglican or a Presbyterian church, they often have special services around that time. We, we tend to not. But um, the ascension was a whole different leaving because by then Jesus had been with them, he'd explained everything. And so this time when he left, his disciples were full of courage. They were full of hope for like, this isn't done. You know, like something's going to happen. And Jesus said to them, just wait here. You have to wait in Jerusalem. You can't go back to your hometowns. You need to stay here. So that's what they did. And we're just going to take a wee look and read some of what happened. So here we go. This is uh, out of Acts 1. After his death, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, his disciples, in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but they must wait for what the Father promised. The promise you heard from me, John, who was his cousin who had come before him, baptized in water, you are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and soon. They didn't know what that meant, okay? We kind of have a better idea now, but they didn't know what that meant. Then Jesus was taken up and he disappeared in a cloud. Bump forward to verse 15. They, the disciples, agreed that they were in this for good, completely together in prayer, the women included. That was good news, wasn't it? Um, also Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. So they listened to Jesus. He said, this is really important. You've got to stay put. Okay, Keep meeting together, eat together. They kept the room. Um, they had gone and hired a room for the last supper before Jesus' death. They kept that room, and there was about 120 of them all together. And they just waited. They prayed. They ate together. They went to the temple three times together, as was their practice. And they waited for something, but they didn't really know what that was. And then we read on in Acts 2. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world, and when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then, when they heard one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on, and they kept saying, Aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. Even them were there, and they heard their tongue being spoken. Thus speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning and they couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? And others joked, well, they're drunk on cheap wine. Peter speaks up. Now, Peter's just a fisherman. He's never had the education. He has probably not gone to any public speaking courses. And yet filled now with the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets up with the other disciples right at his back and preaches the most amazing 
message. And we're not going to go into it all here, but if you've got time, I'm like, tomorrow's the day off. Of course you have time. After you've slept in, read Acts 2. Blows your mind. In terms of just him telling the good news of what's happened, he's now passing on everything that Jesus has just told all of them. So, uh, up he gets, uh, he stands up, backed by the Nalo 11, he spoke out with bold urgency. After the message, cut to the quick, those who were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? And Peter said, change your life. Turn to God and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your son- sins are forgiven. And your sons, maybe. Uh, receive, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, this promise is targeted to you and your children and also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our Master God invites. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. It's good to know some things don't change. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word. They were baptised and they signed up. They committed themselves. That would have to be like an amen moment, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah there we go. Getting this. Uh, so they were signed, they signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All of these wonders and signs done through the apostles and all of the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned. They pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. And people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Amen. Amen. That is called the spontaneous expansion of the church. That is not some good idea that a person came up with. That is what people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit just go do. And the people that are around, as they watch these lives lived out in front of them, they like what they see. And they are pulled into it because it's so compelling. Why don't we just pray? So Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for this day that we get to remember, we get to celebrate, and we get to be grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't take that for granted. It changes everything. And we're so very thankful. And Lord, I want to thank you for the church, that this is the day that you birthed the church, even though they didn't know it, and that we, all these years later, are in that line of family. So Lord, would you come, would you fill us again with the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you meet each person here, wherever they need you the most? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as I'm looking at Jesus' instructions to his disciples before he left them, it seems to me like there's a bit of a rhythm to what he's actually asking them to do. They already had, all at that point, all his disciples were Jews. So they already had a rhythm to their lives that were dictated by their uh, tradition and culture. So they already went to the temple to pray three times a day, 9 o'clock, 3 p.m. and sunset. So so that was kind of their normal. But he was telling them some other things that he wanted wanted to add in. And so we're going to unpack that just a little bit. So for me, it seems to me it's a bit like this rhythm is as essential to the life of the church as breathing is to our body. Like we breathe in, we breathe out. It's a problem if we don't. Yeah? Yeah. 
So this is a similar kind of a thing that I think Jesus is kind of, they didn't know that this was anything important, but he's saying you've got to stay and wait, and this is the stuff you do while you wait. So the breathing in part is this coming together. He said, come together and stay put, stay together, and then pray together as you wait. He said, just wait. And he knew that their rhythm included prayer. But by being together, they were going to continue to pray together, as was their habit already. Then the breathing out part is this um, dispersal, this kind of giving away of what they had, which we see Peter doing like in ways that you know they just hadn't done up until then, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they just repeat that. They come together, they pray together, they stay together, and then they go and give it away. And then repeat. Same thing. And so that has been the life and the rhythm of the church from the early church all the way through. And, and it's part of our practice now in our context, which I'm very grateful for. So that, uh, so if we just unpack that a little bit, that whole coming together thing, if we look at Luke 24 and we revisit what Jesus tells them, he says, what comes next is very important. I'm sending what my Father promised to you, so stay here in the city until he arrives until you're equipped with power from on high. Now, God could have poured his spirit out on people just individually, like as they were doing their own times of prayer in, in the temple or in their homes. But for whatever reason, there is some dynamic in the coming together that he decided he was going to pour his spirit out and birth the church in the context of community. This, and apparently, it's really important. <coughs> So there's something you know, amazing that happens. We're equipped and we're empowered when that happens, and it happens when we're together. God can do that on our own. I know that. You know, the activity of the Holy Spirit doesn't only happen when we're together. But there's something unique and something really special about when we come together as the church. And that staying together, that cultivating that one heart, that unity, which we discover a bit later on in that chapter in Acts, was incredibly appealing to people. That they saw that being lived out, that living for the common good, that shared heart, that unifying thing that was happening. And they were so enamored with it, it was incredibly attractive to the people that saw it. And that still happens. And uh, But it's choice. You know, if we read in Acts 2.42, it says they committed themselves, the disciples they're describing, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. It was a commitment. It was a choice. It was a choice to be engaged and to stay with their church family, their family of faith. And the amazing thing is for us is that as we gather on a Sunday, whether it's, you know, wherever that is, um, there is this unique thing that happens that as we draw near to God, we are also drawn near to one another because he's the thing that's that's at the centre, isn't he? So as we pull into him, we're drawing near to one another. And it's an amazing thing that happens. If you stop and think, what other organisation do you know of around the world where you can get like a motley bunch of people from different backgrounds, different ages and stages, different experiences, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educations, different jobs, and that they are pulled together, not just for one event, but ongoing, that they choose to live their lives serving one another, where else does that happen? We're unique, guys, and it's purely because that God is the centre of the whole thing. He's the one that unifies us. He's the one 
that pulls us and draws us to one another. Which, like, you know, you guys come visiting, you know, from Hounsville. Yay! What a perfect day for you to be here. Awesome. Because we get to be church with one another. And we don't so get to good. see you guys all the time. But what a gift that you're here today, on the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. So cool. You know? So... I'm pretty blown away by that. I just think it's amazing. Because it's like, you just cannot humanly put us together and make it work. But somehow it does. And it's not always perfect, and it's a little bit broken, rough around the edges, but it's still a beautiful thing. So, we're coming together, we're staying together, we're choosing that, and we're going to pray together. Now, honestly, we're pretty rubbish at that, to be honest. Prayer on our own is hard, isn't it? Often. Like we can go through stages where it's like, oh, it's just so easy. God feels so present the minute I start talking to him. But oftentimes we struggle even just as individuals to pray, don't we? Or it could just be me. Um, but I suspect I'm not alone. And certainly the whole idea of us praying with other people can be a bit daunting. And as I talk to people about that, oftentimes people will say things like, I just don't know, I don't know how to pray out loud in front of other people. Like, are there special words you're supposed to use? Like, it's fear. And feeling like you're going to make a fool of yourself in front of other people if you say something, or I'm just not together enough, or I don't know the Christian words, or any of that. And that sort of gets in the way. And honestly, I was chatting to someone yesterday about, you know, this whole the challenge of us praying together. And uh, if we're brutally honest, a lot of the time we just don't care. We're just too selfish. We, we, you know, like it's easy to pray in some ways for me and my stuff and my people. But as soon as I start praying with others and praying for my Silverdale villages and you know, praying for the churches and the community that I'm in, it takes me, it forces me to take my eyes off myself and put them firmly on God and on the needs of others, which is actually part of what he's made me for. But we really struggle with it, don't we? Because we're sort of just inherently selfish. That might just be me as well. But, um, but you know, we see the disciples in the early church, they made this habit of regularly praying together and playing together as well. Um, you know, like, not only did they go to the temple and have, you know, the rhythm of prayer that was, you know, the whole of their community was engaged in, but we see uh, when they come together after Jesus has left and they realise we need to replace Judas, who was one of the apostles who betrayed Jesus and so he was no longer part of their community. And so they prayed, Lord, who is it we're supposed to replace him with? They prayed with thanksgiving when wonderful things happened. They prayed for wisdom and direction when they were starting to come under persecution. They prayed about everything. They prayed about the leaders that they were raising up to be able to continue and spread this work where they had all these people coming to faith and they just didn't have enough of them to keep up with all the work. That was their habit. And they didn't just pray on their own. They were praying together. They were trying to hear from God together and pray into those situations together. That's a challenge for us. But it's something that Jesus tells us is really important. So we want to give ourselves to that. And then they've done all of that, they've breathed in, and then the breathing out. It's that whole thing of just giving it away. Whatever we've been given is to give away. You know, as we read that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were given power and equipping for the sake of just giving it all away. With courage, with authority. That's where it came from. It wasn't just for them. The Holy Spirit is very much a gift to each one of us. He heals us. He restores us. He transforms our hearts. He makes us into the image of Jesus over a lifetime. That's what I'm counting on. 
But it's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for the sake of the people around us. It's for the neighbours that you live next to. It's for the people you go to work with or university with. That's who we've been given the Holy Spirit for. It's to empower us. It's for us to go and feed the poor. You know, if we look at the you know the early church, what did they do after they got filled with the Holy Spirit? They went and fed the poor. They prayed for the sick and the bedeviled, and they saw them set free and healed. They spread the story of Jesus everywhere they went. And if they hadn't done it, we wouldn't be here today. They just freely gave it all away. And people have carried on doing that, that tradition for, throughout the history of the church. Aren't we grateful? So good. They were emboldened to take risks. You know, Acts 2, 14, we see Peter getting up in front of thousands of people, <coughs> a fisherman from Galilee, with no training, and he preaches up a storm, man, and 3,000 people came to faith. That is a God thing. That's not a person thing. And they gave it away just as they did regular life. You know, Peter and John, one day, when they were heading to the church, to the temple to pray, they encountered a crippled man at the, um, at the entrance to the temple. And he's like, you know, he, was, he begged for a living because it was the only way he could survive. They had no money, but what did they give him? They prayed for him. They said, we don't have any money, but what we have, we'll give you. And they invited him into life, and he was healed. Which I, I suspect a bit more than he was expecting that day. Um, they preached, and they stood up to the people that were arresting them and threatening their lives. You know, they, they didn't back down. They were healed. I mean, in Acts 5, we read that they brought the sick to them and they would line them up so that Peter's shadow would fall over them and they would be healed. I'm just, I'm just like, oh, that's quite something. You've seen that before. Just a shadow, you know? <coughs> and as all that activity is happening in their day-to-day, their numbers were added to and you know, and just leaps and bounds, and it wasn't them making that happen. This is the spontaneous expansion of the church, entirely governed by the Lord. And then they just repeated that. They came back together again, they ate together, they worshipped together, they prayed together, and then they went out and gave it away, and then they came back. But this time they came back with friends. And they invited those friends, those new converts, into this way of living. And it's carried on over and over and over and over again. That's what we're invited into, that rhythm of living. It's like breathing. Breathe in, connect with God, connect with one another, choose to stay together, choose to learn how to pray together, and then go out and give it away. And then bring your friends with you, and we'll repeat it all over again. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it sounded quite good. So let me just read you a couple of stories. It's always good to do stories at this time of night. Uh, if I can read in the dark. All right. So these are some stories of what happens when the church prays. Are you ready? It's good. Okay, in 1859, we're going to be reading. So the 1859 revival in Ulster, Northern Ireland, profoundly touched the nine counties of the north. Sectarian violence slowed almost to a halt, and prostitution and drunkenness declined. A brewery had to close on account of the downturn in sales. 100,000 people made commitments to Christ. And history suggests that the spark that lit this fire was a Friday night prayer meeting that started with four young men in the village of Kells in 1857. It was to be three months before it grew beyond the initial four, but by 1859, the parish of Ballymena was the scene of 100 prayer meetings a week, 16 prayer meetings a night. 
And it started with four young men that persevered a prayer for three months. And they didn't see anything happen. And then suddenly it just went off all over the place. The Welsh Revival of 1904. Uh, there was two uh, most famous um, people that were included in these sort of different streams that kicked that off. Flory uh, was a 14-year-old new convert, and she stood to her feet in a youth meeting in her church in Newquay. It had been a slow meeting, and it seemed to be drifting to an end. And she spoke briefly and simply, and she said in a trembling voice, If no one else will, then I must say that I do love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. Her sincere confession is described as being like a lightning strike of the Spirit. Person after person rose and pledged themselves wholeheartedly to God, and news of the service soon spread as the young people testified in other churches, and one stream of the Welsh revival was underway. Evan Roberts, an intense 26-year-old, was under the influence of some of the same people who helped nurture the new key converts. He had a burden to see 100,000 people saved. He spoke to 17 young people in the Monday night prayer meeting in his home and called them to obey the Spirit, confess their sins, put away bad habits, that's always a good thing, and proclaim Christ. And the response was immediate. Meetings were held every night of the week, often until 4am, as only young people can, actually. And God started with young people, and 100,000 made a commitment to Christ. So, that's some good stuff. Uh, the birth of the vineyard. Now, we are just one, we call ourselves one stew, uh, one veggie in the stew, all right? So we're just one bit of the church, but it seems to be a bit that God, you know, put there on purpose. Uh, so the, the, the stew is just the whole church. And the way that we started was a group of leaders that started meeting in uh, Southern California in the 1970s. And they were just, honestly, they were burnt out and kind of pretty fried uh, from being in ministry. And they just started meeting in someone's living room they started just playing the guitar, really simple worship songs, and just, just praying and seeking God. They were just hungry for God because they had just sort of run out of path. And, uh, and that started uh, back in the 1970s, and now, in 2017, we've got nearly 2,500 churches in 95 countries of the world, and they would never have believed when they were just, you know, a handful of them in that room that this is where God might want to go with just one stream of the church. And that's just one bit of it. Uh, some other things that happen when the when the church prays is, um, do you, well, you won't remember because you're just, some of us might remember, but so many of you are so young. I don't know, I'm feeling my age. The Berlin Wall, you might have read about it in history. <laughs> um, and so, there, you know, obviously yeah. there's been huge political pressure um, put, in on, put on to try and bring down the wall between East and West Berlin. And that had been going on for some time to know, like, it just wasn't working. It was pretty grim if you lived in East Berlin. Um, by the way, if you ever want to read anything that will inspire you to pray, and certainly to pray for others, is read anything by Pete Gregg uh, from 24-7 Prayer. He just has a way of, I don't know, telling stories, and certainly the story of what God's done with 24-7 Prayer is amazing. And, uh, and we are gonna, we did a week of non-stop prayer last year. We'll do another week of it this year. And it's, uh, it is a profoundly, uh, just incredible thing to be a part of. So if you want to, you know, kind of get yourself enthusiastic, these are good books. Um, but let me tell you what happens when the church prays. The Berlin Wall dividing east from west uh, Berlin was about to tumble. In fact, by 1989... 
More than 70,000 people were filling the streets of Leipzig in East Germany every Monday night to pray for a peaceful end to communism. The authorities had announced that the counter-revolution, that's what they were calling the prayer meeting, uh, could be, would be put down by whatever means was necessary, and that wasn't, was not an idle threat. The communist government in China had just massacred hundreds of counter-revolutionary peace pro protesters in Tiananmen Square. Anticipating similar bloodshed, Leipzig's churches were being converted into emergency clinics. The amazing thing is, is they, the, like, as you read that, you're just like, oh, okay. But people, they're still being prayed. Wow. Like, they're preparing their churches for people to be massacred. And they still went and prayed every Monday night. Doesn't that still just blow your mind? Yeah. I'm just in awe. Um, anyway, that wasn't in the notes. Okay, so yes, snipers had been stationed on the roofs and tanks were patrolling the streets as Christians, clasping candles, marched defiantly through the city, chanting no violence, praying for peace down the barrel of a gun. By the following Monday, these 70,000 protesters had swelled their ranks to 120,000 as similar prayer rallies sprang up in other Eastern German cities. Just two days after that, on Wednesday the 18th of October, the unthinkable happened. The party secretary, who had originally threatened to crush the prayer rallies, suddenly resigned. From that moment, there was a certain inevitability to the cause. The revolution had become unstoppable. Sure enough, exactly a month to the day after the great Leipzig prayer rally, and that's the picture of the rally, on the 9th of October, the Berlin Wall came down. The world woke up to images of young people dismantling the Cold War's ultimate icon, attacking it with sledgehammers, graffitiing the concrete, standing astride it triumphantly. One communist official from Leipzig quietly admitted that they had been ready for any eventuality, but not for candles and prayers. Stuff changes when the church prays. It is a powerful thing. So, you know, uh, we had at the beginning of the year the opportunity to have a pastor from Scotland. He's the largest church in Scotland, and, and uh, we were chatting with him, and we asked him, you know, how, how do you do prayer together? How do you do communal prayer? He says, oh, we're rubbish. He said, I don't know anyone who's doing this well, which is kind of encouraging because we feel like we've not really found ourselves in that, and we keep trying different things, you know, to try and find our feet with that. But all that to say... It's hard, but look at what happens. You know, at Coast Vineyard, we started in our living room in February four years ago, and there was us and two other families, and we had a sense that God was up to something up here. And we just started meeting, and we would eat, we'd, we'd eat together quite a lot. Our kids would play, and, uh, and we'd just pray and try as best we could to hear from God about what, what he wanted to do. And here we are, we're celebrating our four years of weekly services in August. And, and we've just watched God do this amazing thing of drawing people, you know, that motley bunch. <laughs> we are a motley bunch. You know, he's just drawn these amazing people towards this church and is building this church. He is building this church. And we're just one of a bunch of amazing churches here on the coast that serve this community really well, or certainly the best we know how to do. Not always great, but we're certainly working at it. And that's what happens when we pray. We don't really know where those prayers are going to take us. But we, but we want to be faithful in, in doing them, don't we? And saying them. Yeah. So, so that's a couple things. 
just trying to think, oh, some other people. We had friends come out from a vineyard church in Ireland just a couple months ago, and they're a beautiful church up in uh, Coleraine. And about a year ago, there were four people in their church that felt like they were meant to go and do something. They were going to just go and just serve in one of the refugee camps in Thessaloniki that, in Greece that look after Syrian refugees. And uh, so they went over. There was just the four of them. And... And it was really just, it came out of that sense of, you know, just praying, God, what do you want us to do? You know, we all kind of pray those prayers at different times, don't we? And, uh, and that was what they thought God told them to do. Well, in the last 12 months, let me just get my facts and figures straight. In the last 12 months, they've taken 11 teams, consisting of about 149 people, to distribute about 1,000 tonnes of donated clothes and equipment and, and stuff that refugees needed. And they have... Uh, touched the lives of 16,000 refugees in a year. Because prayer propels us out. You know, if you think about revival, we think about church planting, changing history, acts of justice, you know, social justice, all of that stuff comes out of what God does in us as we pray. And certainly as we pray together and as we stay together. We're propelled by prayer. And so certainly for us here at Coast, we're going to just keep experimenting, keep trying stuff. Like I said, we'll do another 24-7 week of prayer in September. Um, and for those of you who are Coasties, I know, uh, and, and I'll encourage my church family from the other churches that are here as well, just, just keep pursuing God. We've just got to keep pursuing Him. And keep trying to find out, God, how do you want us to do this? How do we do this in this context where you put us with the people that you've you know, drawn together, and then where do you want us to go? In the last 11 days, there's been uh, an invitation from the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, from the Anglican Church in England. He put out an invitation months ago that over this period of time between Ascension and Pentecost, that there would be this opportunity for as many who would want to, to participate in, in praying, Thy Kingdom Come that we would pray for God's kingdom to come uh, in the lives of our family and in the lives of our friends, um, that they would come to know Jesus. And so uh, so today is the day that sort of it's the culmination of all of that. So there are people meeting, uh, we're meeting here at night, it's the daytime over in Europe right now, they're just starting Sunday, and there are church services happening all across Europe. There's 85 countries that have actually participated in this, churches of all different denominations, all of us praying, God, thy kingdom come. And uh, and I just want to, before we, we're going to actually spend a little bit of time and we're going to pray because you can't do all of this and not pray. Uh, but I just want to um, have us listen to, uh, he's the, I think the acting bishop uh, in the States uh, for the Episcopalian Church there. And uh, we'll just have a listen to him and then we're going to actually pray together. Is that right? Cool. You guys, you will see one? Awesome. Thank you. God came among us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to change the world. Jesus came to show us the way, to change the world from the nightmare it often is into the dream and the vision that God intends. The Archbishop of Canterbury has invited us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer actually does change things. We may not always know how. We may not always know the details. 
We may not always see the end result or the end product, but prayer changes things because prayer brings God into our conscious focus in some mysterious and wonderful way. Prayer alters the chemistry of the moment, changes the equation of history and life, sometimes in ways that we can see, sometimes in ways that we can. Prayer changes things. When the cries of the lonely, when the cries of the oppressed, when the cries of those who are sick, when the cries of those who suffer, when the thanksgivings of God people, when a child is born, when thanksgiving is uttered, when something wonderful happens, when we pray for peace on earth, when we pray for a way through, when we can't find a way through, in those moments, there is silence in heaven because God is listening. And if God is listening, that changes the equation of the moment. Prayer changes things. The Archbishop has invited us to pray, to follow in the way of Jesus, the Jesus who prayed the great prayer of John 17, that they all might be one, as he and the Father were one, the Jesus who taught us to pray our Father, who art in heaven, the Jesus who prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, prayer changes things. So if you want things to stay the same, don't bother to pray. But if you want to change, and you want the world to change, pray. God came among us in the person of Jesus to show us the way to change the world and to be changed. God bless you. God keep you. And pray. Means tonight. Amen. Yes. Um, you know, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna stick to my notes. Um, it, it seems pretty cool that God brought us a bunch of people from another church tonight, and uh, we would love to pray. We're saying you guys. I mean, is anyone else visiting from like another church? Out of town. Yes. There we go. Another couple. Anyone else? Cool. Cool. Would it be okay if uh, we'll all stand? But would it be okay if uh, some of our guys just come and you know gather around you and, and I'll just lead us? Wow, I've got music. She's good. <laughs> She's a little bit like the Holy Spirit. She just sleeps when we don't. Don't even. Sorry. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna pray for you guys. Is that alright? We just love to pray God's blessing on you. Um, so uh, why don't we all stand? Those of you who are from other churches, you just stick your hand up really high. Coasties, this is where you get to move. Go gather around them. Sorry, we don't usually embarrass our guests like this, but I actually um, I actually think this is what God wants us to do tonight. All right. So go find some people who aren't from here. So we've got people from CLC and Helensville, Northgate, Northgate. We've got people from Tower over there. All right. Okay, Coasties, do you want to just lay hands on them in, in, you know, in a nice way? <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm going to just pray a blessing 
on you and on your churches. And for all our Coast Vineyard people, can you just join me as we do that? Let's pray our best prayers for them. So, Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit to come. Pour yourself out upon us again, we pray, because we leak and we just need you. We can't do this life of faith and following you without the power of the Spirit. So, Lord, would you come and fill us up again, each one of us, the prayees and the prayers. Fill us up. And Lord, we want to thank you for the church. This beautiful, motley bunch that we are. Lord, we are so very grateful for this family that you have created. This big, vast, amazing family. And we want to pray now, Lord, for every person that here that represents another church. Lord, would you just pour your blessing out upon them. And as they go back to their churches, Lord, would you just help them to leak it, to give it away. So, God, we ask that you come and that every good thing that you have for them as individuals, that you bring that to pass in their lives, that you would draw them close to you, that you would hold them close to you, that your plans and purposes would be worked out in each of their lives, that you would make it clear what that is, what it is you've made each one for. And hold them close to your heart. Don't let them slip away. Don't let anything draw them away and distract them. And we, Lord, we, we just pray for their churches now, the churches, the families that they represent. And Lord, we ask for your blessing to be on each one of them. Lord, for CLC and Helensville, God, I just ask that you give them favour in their community, that you give them strategic plans about what you want to use them for to be able to bless the people that they live around, for their neighbours, for the business owners, for the schools, for the other churches, Lord, that they would be a blessing to everyone they meet, that you would just fill them up and equip them and empower them and give them courage to live this life of faith. Lord, for those ones that are from, from Tarana, from Northgate, from anywhere, anywhere else that I'm missing, but you know, we ask that for them. Lord, we just ask for your best for these churches your very best, that you would give them great favour as they minister to people. Lord, continue to lead them as churches, continue to guide them, to just bless their pastors. And Lord, that collectively we, the church, would be able to stand together with one heart, unified by your Son. Lord, would you knit our hearts together, even tonight, Lord, that we would just be able to enjoy one another. Thank you for these ones, Lord. We just ask for every good thing for them and for their people. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Will you join me before we finish? We're just going to have a piece of Ephesians 3. Stay where you are, but let's just read this and pray this together. We got, oh, sorry, Michael, just dropping in. There you are. Let's just pray this together as we finish. So now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power and his wisdom, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and 
Amen. Amen. Oh, Amen. we're done, guys. So good to have you here. Coffee's on. Help yourselves. Stick around. We'd love to be able to chat with some more. Thanks so much for coming.